Liran Hirschkorn, your host of the e-commerce mindset podcast. For this episode, I would really love to get your feedback. Uh, what I'm going to play is a recording of a talk that I did just last night with uh, a guy who works for uh, a, a brand that does over $100 million uh, in business on Amazon as a vendor. Uh, my personal expertise is much stronger on the third party side. And so this was a, a discussion that we had uh, in a clubhouse chat. And so I recorded the conversation. So you'll hear sort of uh, us talking about some of the differences and benefits of, let's say, 3P versus vendor. What are some of the things you could do if you want to try to get into vendor and you don't have an invite? And what are some of the advantages? And then we opened it up for questions and you'll hear some people um, coming up and asking questions as it relates to it. And then some other non-specific questions uh, around 3P or, or vendor, just around uh, things like Amazon advertising. So it's kind of a mix. It's uh, over an hour. Uh, it's about um, an hour and 10 minutes between this conversation and some questions. So what I'd love to hear back is your feedback. Um, are these kind of uh, recordings from a clubhouse conversation something you'd like to see on the podcast or do you not like the format? Um, and is it not uh, as valuable as some of the other podcast episodes? would love to hear your feedback. The podcast is sponsored by incrementumdigital.com where we help brands skyrocket their sales. Uh, on Amazon using Amazon advertising, DSP. We're fully managing brands. We started to do um, A plus listing optimization, video, et cetera, uh, for brands and uh, love seeing some of the results that we are getting. Um, also personally revamping one of my own um, products right now. I'm gonna put together um, a case study of the before and after in terms of the listings and hopefully the improved results that we get from uh, redoing the entire creative part uh, of this uh, of this listing. I hope to share uh, some more on that later on this year. Uh, if you're looking for growth capital for your business, I just helped the seller who's launching seven new products as a result of the uh, additional capital they have for their business. They are planning on going from seven to eight figures this year as a result of being able to launch more products and have more capital. You can reach out to me. My email is in the show notes if you're looking for growth capital. Uh, and if you're looking to exit your business, um, I can help you as well. I think it's an amazing time um, now and over the next 24 months to look to exit your business. If you are looking to do that, reach out to me as well. Uh, enjoy this podcast episode talking about uh, third party versus vendor uh, as well as some Q&A. Record button. Um, so Slim, uh, why don't you introduce yourself um, share a little bit of um, sort of how you came to gain expertise in the vendor side of selling selling on Amazon. Sure, so I actually have had never like done anything with Amazon before. I kind of got thrown in the deep end. The company I work for kind of said, all right, you've got some marketing experience. I'm gonna throw you to um, the Amazon account. I'm like, okay. And we had a vendor account and at that point it was 2016 and we were at uh, about 2 million in annual revenue or retail sales, I should say. And then from there, it was just all about my curiosity and uh, my ability to build strong partnerships with vendor managers, which is key to the success on the vendor side. They're the ones that can help with so many, so many issues. And from there grew the business uh, from 2017, we were about 5 million in retail sales and then 
2020, we finished up at just shy of 70 million. And um, this year, we're hoping to get to about 125 million in retail sales. So that's where I'm at. And it's just been, so, I've been so curious with how the vendor side works and how everything is. And I've come to sort of learn the ins and outs and see what goes on in the, in the background and build those partnerships. And now managing a team of about four or five that each handle the different branches. So um, forecasting would be one, advertising, promotions, product research and managing listings and so forth. So yeah, that's pretty much it. So uh, super interesting. So uh, obviously a lot of deep insight into the vendor side, especially as a, as a pretty large vendor. Um, how have you seen, or is the how have you seen the level of support, or or which level as you grow do you start to really get sort of more attention and support from from Amazon, um, from from the vendor side, and kind of the ability to help either solve problems or gain more visibility or access to special betas and and programs. Sure. So when we first started, it was incredibly hard, right? Amazon, to be honest, are bullies. I'm going to be straight up there and they always want what they want and they'll get it. Um, but as you grow, I think it's like when we had retail sales of about 15 to 20 million is where at least we got in front of vendor managers. So we would travel up to Seattle and actually meet with them. And then once we got to about 30 was when we became sort of like a mid-tier vendor. And from there, it was all about building partnerships. And that's where we really got um, momentum. Uh, in the sense of getting these uh, bigger deal of the days and getting deal of the days for like Prime Day. And um, this year we we did a deal for Prime Day and it was 2 million in retail sales in 24 hours for a single deal. So it's once you really build that relationship, uh, that's where you're going to really grow. And that kind of starts at roughly around, yeah, about 15 million is once that you get like what they would call like a tier, tier seven, type of vendor manager and from there you just got to really focus on building building that partnerships and i can go into building that later but that's something that's probably as a vendor the most important thing you can do is is build the relationships with with the vendor managers um uh no i, I want to touch on that do you, do you experiencing do you experience challenges um from a pricing standpoint because obviously amazon gets to control the price I'm assuming you're selling on other channels. I don't know if you're selling on your own D2C, but you have other distribution in, in retail or other marketplaces. Um, how much can you, I mean, Amazon, we sort of all know, doesn't necessarily always adhere to map pricing or, um, you know, um, allows you to control the price when you're a vendor. Has that been a challenge or, or not? Um, it certainly has been. It's probably actually one of our biggest challenges um, because when we have it on other retailers, uh, Amazon will match the price and they'll come back and say they want funding. Actually, they, they won't say they want funding, they demand funding. So let's say an item is, uh, let's say you got it on there for 99 and you've got it on a target for 79. They'll come back to you and say, we want that $20 funding because we're losing money on it. And it really comes down to managing that and um, basically coming up with a plan before you launch your product. And we're at a point now where we actually version our products and by versioning, not just the simple color swap, there's an actual different version when we go to the factory, whether it's it's a packing where we add additional items to make the Amazon more of a deluxe version where we include some extra features or whatnot. So then that becomes exclusive to Amazon. So when they come back to us and they match, we can just 
gently say, you know, it, it, the product varies physically, not just with the color, and that's helped us quite dramatically um, adjust. Got it. But otherwise, it's more so just, you know, working with them and, and explaining to them uh, why others have got it. This, or getting in front of it and just saying, you know, we, we've got a promotion coming up uh, in other retailers and we're willing to extend that to you guys as well. Got it. So by, th- you know, sort of taking time to think through the, the product and not necessarily put the same product that's on Amazon as elsewhere, Amazon maybe can't um, sort of demand that funding or price matching, et cetera. I guess also, especially if you're using maybe different UPCs or, um, or positioning the product in another way so that yeah amazon can't like bring the price down or have issues with you um and and i guess also maybe from a comparison standpoint um the retailers maybe don't get as upset if amazon is pricing lower um and that your product is sitting on a retail shelf at a higher price point sure but then the the worst is like it's uh, Amazon and other retailers, to be honest, they're like children. They're all greedy. They all want the lowest price for the customer. Mm-hmm. And it can it can spiral out of control where, um, let's say you do a promo on Amazon, right? And then Target would match it. And then all of a sudden, Bed Bath matches it. Then no one wants to go up and play play fair. And Amazon's like, oh, well, we just follow other people. And then it's it's the same thing that happens. And it's, it's frustrating. But if you plan for it, if you make sure in your pricing strategy, you account for it so that if if they do match, you're not losing money. You're at least, um, you know, still making something by giving back to Amazon. Because the other thing with Amazon too is you got to understand that they want 100% funding. So if, so can you if, can you explain uh, explain what that means? Yeah, sure. So if you've got an item that's $100 and you reduce it to $80, generally with retailers you you take that 20% off at cost price. Whereas with Amazon, you have to take it at retail price. So they basically want funding for that $20 that you reduce it and they'll take that $20 off the cost price, if that makes sense. So you're really paying a lot more when you're reducing the item. Got it. Um, So yeah, pricing is a much more sort of important factor um, when when getting on, when when dealing with Bender. From a marketing standpoint, you know, as a third-party seller, there's a lot of levers that you have from the advertising part, which which you have, uh, I guess, also on the vendor side. But um, from the from the advertising to the detail page to the language, to maybe running ranking initiatives to the A plus to the storefront, like what are the marketing levers that you have from the vendor side? What are the things you can control? Um, uh, you know, to yeah. in order to yeah, to grow the sales. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So, so for example, like the product images, uh, a plus Amazon is doing all that. Are you contributing to that? Um, what's, what's the, the process when you're, um, when you're doing vendor? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that the most important thing, um, is making sure your item detail page is, uh, I guess, optimized the best that it can be. So that does include your images, adding video, and you can add multiple videos to the product page. Um, a plus, you can have up to five different modules, and that, uh, for those of you who don't know, is like when you scroll down, you've got like this beautiful what the many it says from the manufacturer. And who controls who controls that content? You do or Amazon does? We do. It's funny because Amazon always sends us um, uh, basically from their support saying, "Oh, we can create A plus pages for you," but they don't have 
your images and your expertise of the product to create it. So we always reject it, but we, we do it all internally uh-huh. because we know our products intimately and we could market it in the way that we, we think the customer will best receive the messaging. That makes uh, that makes sense. So you do have so you do have. It sounds like um, and, and as well as the storefront, etc. So you do have that level of control on the marketing, the the look, the feel. Um, for those that are that are here, you know, that sell on Amazon three P, are there specific things you could do to try and get a vendor relationship? I know typically, you know, Amazon has to reach out to you. I know historically, maybe if you. You know, in a, in a COVID world today, they're they're probably they're not a lot of trade shows. But if you if you were in a trade show, B two B trade show, Amazon might approach you, like a buyer might approach you there, or they might just do outreach. Um, are there any proactive things third party sellers could do if they wanted to get a vendor relationship? Totally. Um, I think one of the easiest way is probably just looking LinkedIn. So for whatever category you're looking at, you can jump on Amazon and and look at. Um, the vendor managers there for your category. You could reach out to customer support. You could you could even reach out to customers. Like um, the way that I've built my relationships with vendors, um, it so happens that with vendor managers at Amazon, they cycle through. So there'll be a category for let's say kitchen for twelve to eighteen months, then they'll move through um, another department. Could be home, could be outdoor grilling, could be to- toys, could be a number of different. Um, I guess. Uh, categories that they go through and, and they swap and that's another another point to bring across too is how important it is to develop that relationship so that when a vendor manager moves on they can then sort of put in a good word for the new vendor manager and that you can pick up right where you left off but long story short um if you look through linkedin you'll be able to reach out to one vendor manager if that vendor manager um can't help you they should be able to connect you to someone that can now i wouldn't say if you've just started a, a seller account, you know mm-hmm. you would you would go down that route. But if you're certainly in 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 the two to three million, you'd be taken a lot more seriously. And yeah, that that makes that makes a lot of sense. So if you had, I mean, obviously you 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 know sort of work for a company, you help them really kind of build this up. Um, if you had your choice today, you know you could start start this over or move the whole relationship. Would you? Would your preference be to be on the vendor side or to be on the third-party seller side? Do you think one, there's obviously pros and cons to, to both. One, you pay sort of the Amazon fees and control the price. The other side, you just have a PO. Amazon kind of does everything else. Um, what's your opinion um, sort of on which is more, which is more beneficial, um, you know, to a brand? Is, it, it, it seems to me like- It depends on where you start. For the most part, I would 100% say you start off on the seller side. And then as you grow, uh, I would say I have no regrets being on the vendor side. I know pricing can be an issue. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I mean, if you've got the vendor manager on your side, um, we all know how frustrating um, all those of you seller accounts dealing with customer support, um, getting chargebacks waived and things like that. If you've got a vendor manager on your side, they can help with all of that. I'll give you an example where right now we're facing because of all the shipping delays um, and all the um, issues we're having with the backlog of um, orders uh, not being picked up or whatnot we had essentially five hundred thousand worth of chargebacks uh, through november and december because of all the issues now creating a case ticket to get each one of those smaller tickets i guess um reversed is near impossible maybe thousands of tickets whereas we could basically send all of those tickets straight to a vendor manager 
And if you've got that good relationship, they can help you there. The other aspect of vendor side of things is they can help get you deals that you probably couldn't get as um, as mm -hmm. a seller. And that could be like a prime day deal in a day where we, we could sell like 30, 40,000 units uh, of a particular item in a single uh, 24 hour slot. And there are a lot of perks. So as you grow, as you've got the ability to um, scale, uh, you've got the warehousing, you've got everything um, in place, I definitely think vendor is the place to go because it'll help amplify and grow your business um, a lot faster, in my opinion, when you've got help from internal Amazon. But when you begin, you're not going to get like the time time of day from vendor managers if you're dealing um, with sub-million-dollar um, accounts. Right. That, that makes a lot of sense. One of the things you mentioned to me before before we, we opened up this room was that 2020 kind of forced you to also open up a third-party seller account. Um, and I'm assuming, you know, as there are stock outs, et cetera, you can merchant fulfill, you can, you could do, you could do some things that would be advantageous for you to go with like a hybrid approach of being on listing sort of as a backup, right? If Amazon goes out of stock or, or whatever the issue is, um, it's beneficial. Um, does Amazon give you pushback or if you wanted tomorrow to go say, Hey, Amazon, thank you so much. But, um, you know, we want to move over to, to third party. Uh, I've heard, um, uh, stories from brands where Amazon tells them, kind of th threatens them, tells them they can't do that. Um, at the same time, um, I have a brand that I had a, a meeting with recently, not too big on Amazon. They, they're a licensee of, of a kind of a bigger brand. Um, and last year they had $350,000 in orders from Amazon and POs and then the POs just stopped, right? And that's something that, that Amazon started doing probably back a couple of years. I think there was sort of like one week where just like a ton of, a ton of vendors just stopped getting POs. Like what's the risk in terms of those POs stop coming in? You don't have a seller account. You're sort of at the mercy um, of these purchase orders. And I mean, at any time, potentially uh, Amazon can decide to change the rules, want better pricing. Um, what, what are the, the, the different sort of risks involved in uh, being on that side? Sure. So there's, there's several risks. Um, Pricing issues is one. If it's not profitable for them, they can shut it off. Um, we've had instances where um, a lot of times POs can get cancelled. The biggest issue we had this year was in February, we got, um, I think Amazon um, sort of knew something was happening. So they placed uh, substantial orders from us, PO orders. And these orders were probably three, 400% to what we usually get. Mm. And so we kind of thought, okay, this this COVID might get a bit serious. Amazon's, I guess, seeing what's happening and they're going to stock up. Mm. But then what ended up happening is Amazon, they prioritized selling to customers for um, all the emergency equipment. Essential so items. The masks and all that type of stuff. And uh, we're in uh, kitchen. And what happened was we couldn't sell any products. So our products, like if a customer went to buy one of our products, it would be like a three-month wait to get it. Mm -hmm. So that's what happened. So what we did was luckily we had established a decent relationship with our vendor manager and we said, look, if we can't do this, we still have to, you know, make this work. Otherwise our business, it could dramatically affect our business. So would you guys, would you have any objections if we were to open up um, a seller account? And that being said, we, we were proactive and we asked, we didn't just do it. Uh -huh. uh, and because the way we said it and we worded it, he was like, I'm totally fine with you doing that. As long as once everything goes back to normal, that, you know, we start winding down your inventory there as we're able to sell it. So we, it's Amazon certainly doesn't like you having playing both sides, 
But if you work with vendor managers and you explain the situation, they'll certainly be willing to listen. Uh, and that's what happened in our case. Yeah, that sounds um, that that sounds um, like you guys did it did it in a in a smart way. Do you, do you believe you know I've I've um, I've I've heard from some sellers that have recently that have gotten uh, a vendor relationship that they believe they've seen better rankings when Amazon is the vendor as opposed to third party. Um, any insight into that, like the ability to rank better because you know Amazon is a seller and sort of. You know, it's their playground. They're they're positioning Amazon sort of vendor products ahead of three P as far as like from, yeah. from a rankings perspective. Sure, and this I can only speculate here. I personally think Amazon is more profitable as a retailer than they are as a seller, and as a meaning as a vendor than than a seller, they're more profitable, so they're more inclined to, uh, in my opinion, push mm-hmm. certain items higher up in the rankings. And also note that when people see ships and sold by Amazon, the conversions seem, in my opinion, higher. might seem a little bit higher so that they want to push items that they're going to convert on more so than items that people will view it, but they might not necessarily convert. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I think probably five years ago, most people didn't know the difference between, you know, fulfilled by FBA, whether it's third party or not. But I think, you know, more people do know and even myself in certain categories or certain products um i have more confidence to buy from especially like if i'm going to buy a supplement for example right like i have more and i don't know the brand i have more confidence that you know amazon probably verified all the certificates and everything else when they're selling when they think they have more of a personal responsibility as a vendor um as opposed to third party um and i believe that's probably also true to some extent with with um, with shoppers, so there is an advantage there. Amazon, have you participated in the Born to Run program? Um, it's a newer program Amazon launched, I think, about a year ago, maybe, that allows you to uh, allows you to sort of give them a forecast, right, or tell them how many units to buy, and then and then if they don't sell through, you have you have to take it back. Is that something you've done for new products? Have you seen benefits in not yeah. not stocking out? Yeah, sure. I mean, we we did that back when it was in beta stage. So we would, we would do it before it became standardized on the actual vendor central platform where we would, they would send us a Excel document and we would put in the ASINs and then the quantity and then they would buy it. And now you've got obviously the two, two options. So one option is if they don't sell it within the 90-day time frame, um, they keep 25% or sorry, they, um, they'll deduct 25% of the cost price and they'll keep the items or you'll take it in and return it. But some of the issues that we're having now is that even if you do Born to Run, the counter starts from the day that you um, you submit that Born to Run. It doesn't necessarily count from when they get the item. So if, for example, you would do you would set it up today and you've got that 90 days to sell it, if Amazon doesn't pick up the item for 30, 40 days, which can happen because of the backlog of um, pickups that you know some people are experiencing, it, it could affect you quite dramatically. So you just got to be careful with what, what you do. You just got to make sure you've got some contingencies in place and realize that, you know, you're not going to have that 90 days. It could in reality be only 30 or 60 days. Yeah. Um, it's a good, um, good thing to know. Um, I know uh, also you may, you may be somewhat short on time. Um, if you could touch a little bit, you said one of the most important thing, things in this sort of um you know, being a vendor is the relationship with the vendor manager. What are some 
strategies, tips, um, things that, you know, if you're either going to have a vendor account or have a vendor account that you should be doing to build and leverage those, uh, those relationships? Sure. So the most important thing to build a relationship, in my opinion, is to understand the vendor manager, right? Each vendor manager has got their own KPIs, right? And if you could help that vendor manager achieve their KPIs, they're going to be more inclined to help you. So to give you an example is when we when we basically meet a new vendor manager, I kind of let them have a chance to speak, see what their background is, see what their frustrations are, see where the issues are. And my whole goal is to make their job easier. So when you're constantly sending two, three emails and you're not getting a response from a man, vendor manager, don't, don't keep harassing them. What you would do is consolidate all those emails into a single message and let them know, like, you know, um, what I've done for ease is consolidate all these emails or requests of things that we would like uh, attention to uh, in a single email so that it makes it easier for them. And then I, I reiterate a lot of times that, you know, uh, we really want to partner with you guys, you know, tell us how we can make your job easier and um, everything that they request for or, or what they want. I generally try to provide in a really nice, easy to read logical way and just simplify their job as best as you can and help them meet their KPIs. And a lot of times it's probably profitability. And if it's not work with them, see, see what you can do. And at the same time, see what a value, like if you're meeting with a negotiate and if something that they need from you that you have to do, if you can do it, then do it, but then ask for something else in return that's more advantageous to you. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And, uh, and I think then leveraging those relationships to get those, you know, deal of the day, right? Or, or certain placements that you can get can be, really powerful in terms of uh, uh, of getting getting additional uh, additional uh, sales. Um, Slim, this was really, uh, really, really great information. Um, really appreciate you taking the time to kind of give us an education on third party. Um, what I'm going to do is, uh, and I know you may have to run down to pick up some some food uh, from the lobby of your building. Maybe I'll open it up to uh, anybody who wants to raise their hand and ask some questions. If you do have to jump off to do that, um, feel free and I can see if I can feel some questions or, um, um, you know, uh, if you do, if you can stay on, um, that'd be great as well. But I'm going to bring up, um, I'm going to bring up our next uh, question up now and we'll go from. Uh... Uh, very useful. In fact, I have my own portfolio. I work for an agency, so I have my own portfolio of 1P clients and uh, you're hundred percent right in terms of building that relationship with vendor uh especially with, with Amazon, right? So my question to you is, what are your thoughts on P70, P80, P90 forecast? Um, obviously, it's all probability, um, but the fact that you can tie in and project sort of what Amazon is going to order, just wanted to get your ideas on that. I know that it's obviously not 100% accurate, but do you use that within your business? And maybe if you want to explain a little bit to the audience what, what I'm talking about in terms of the forecasting that Amazon provides, Okay. Yes, please, Slim. I'm obviously an expert. I know all this P90, P80, P45 stuff you're talking about, but for the audience sake, please. Um, uh, just, just, just kidding. Uh, I also have no clue. So yeah, I would love to learn what, what, what the forecasting uh, is. Sure. This is, <laughs> I'm glad you brought this up, Vinny, but this, this has been one of the biggest pain points in terms of forecasting with Amazon. So We've heard different things from different vendor managers. Even Amazon has confusion as to what P70, P80, and P90 is. Some say it's to do with profitability, and some say it's to do with probability of sell-throughs. So it's, it's funny that, that you bring that up. 
and we we were spinning our wheels trying to decipher decode how to utilize their forecasting methods and we would we created like the most complex spreadsheets and all of that stuff um, to try to base our forecasts on theirs and what we ended up doing is scrapping that and we created um, our own uh, sort of complex excel spreadsheets but we would well we forecast not based of what amazon's predicting but more so what we're selling right so if we with a, with an average four weeks of supply so we go off sale so if we can predict what amazon will sell to customers and if this can be based off advertising based off promotions um you know based on a number of number of factors really but if we can predict like let's say in july we're saying okay in july they're going to sell ten thousand units right we're going to predict that they're going to want that that unit those units probably three weeks in advance and most likely they also want about four weeks of supply and we've gotten it down pretty good it's not 100 percent, but it's way way more accurate basing your forecast on actual sales from amazon to customer rather than their forecasting methods of what what they think they're going to order no i, I think you nailed it and i think we do the same blend approach similar to what you do. So it, it's refreshing to hear that, that that someone else is looking at the data and thinking, okay, well, they might be under forecasting because the demand is there, right? So um, cool. Thanks for answering that. Appreciate that. So of course. So um, I'll ask both the both both of you since you have um, you know experience on the vendor side, what are the what are some of the top tools that vendors are using in that their business? Maybe they can also be beneficial for 3P or um, or maybe not, but what are some of the top tools, you know, from, from a third party perspective, you know, tools like Helium, Jungle Scout, Celix, uh, we use Perpetua as a, as a tool for, uh, for ad management. Like what are, what are some of the best tools or maybe tools that third party sellers don't know about around inventory management uh, and the operations that would be useful for third party that maybe a lot of um, vendors vendors are using to you know sort of help manage the the Amazon business. Sure, I could jump in, Vinny, if you wouldn't mind. Um, just I got a couple that I've used before that have helped dramatically. And previously, we didn't have the resources right to make sure that we do everything one hundred percent right or the experience. So we would outsource a couple of things. One, the most important thing, in my opinion, if you're doing advertising, is using a platform that helps optimize your advertising campaigns and amazon doesn't do a good job in any way shape or form to help you optimize they've got no reason to they want you to spend money as simple as that so we we've we've gone down the route of selix uh, for content management uh, we've also used um, a third party called prestazon to help uh, optimize campaigns and we now currently use stackline i'm not sure if anyone's heard mm -hmm. of stackline but yeah they are absolutely amazing um, and they've helped us optimize our campaigns like fivefold compared to what the way that we optimized it before and the way that we we do it now is completely different and then um, in terms of uh, brand protection we use red points now um, who helped who helped with a lot of counterfeit products and um, basically third-party sellers who would um, uh, what we call brand abuse by creating you know these so-called new variations of the products or like a 2020 version or they're playing around with this type of stuff or um or blatantly just stealing our images and and using it on their listings so you bring up a good point um in terms of how do you deal with things like 
you know, third-party sellers or how does Amazon deal with third-party sellers who are, aren't counterfeiting the product, but they're doing retail arbitrage or online arbitrage. They may be buying, you know, buying the product at a deal somewhere, uh, you know, at TJ Maxx and then going on Amazon and, and selling the product. Um, do you take action on that? Do you, do you let them just sell through whatever sort of small amounts of inventory there are? Like how does, uh, you know, sort of you or Amazon treat that? Because the reality is that if they have a legitimate product, is there anything you can do as far as um, limiting those, you know, third-party sellers jumping on the, on the, on the listings? Sure. Um, to speak to that, I mean, if it's legitimate, if they bought it, it's like a mom and pop or someone just bought it at a discounted price and they're selling it. At the end of the day, it's still our product. We sold it one place, we're selling it somewhere else. Right. And for that reason, like, we're not going to penalize anyone. The issue we have is factories that really try to copy our product. Mm -hmm. And we've had instances where they've um, literally taken our product and our packaging and they've just taken the brand from that packaging off. So it's just brandless, but yet they, they've got every, the packaging looks the same. The manual looks the same. We've had products where they rebranded re to theirs, but they still use our instruction manual in theirs. Mm -hmm. um, we've had all sorts of, and those are the ones that we kind of take action on. Um, and the, the brand, like the red points that we use, the company, they also um, monitor like Alibaba and Walmart and other, other retail chains as well. So uh, they've been very helpful in managing that. Uh, but still, it's just so much as you grow, the faster you grow, the higher in the rankings you become, the more momentum you get. The, the more of a target. You on your back yes. People do their research and, and capitalize that way. Yes, uh, absolutely. And have you, um, has Amazon encouraged you or pushed you to get into the transparency program where you can, you know, have a serialized barcode and sort of limit those potential counterfeits, something you thought about? It's obviously somewhat of a uh, logistical or operational issue because you have to serialize every every product. Is that something you've looked at or would consider doing or find effective or worthwhile um, yes. in terms of dealing with that? Definitely. I mean, they reached out to us several times, even when the when it was in, in beta phase and the costs were absurd. And to do all the logistical side, the thing is, if, they, if we were to do that, we have to literally label each product separately. And the issue then comes, if we've got a single warehouse, um, in Chino, California, we would then have to separate that um, that inventory, and that inventory would, would wouldn't be it, it'd be like a logistical nightmare, so to speak. If you were dealing straight with just Amazon only, um, it would make a lot more sense. But you know, if you've got like three hundred ASINs, um, parent ASINs, I should say, so a total of probably six hundred ASINs or so, maybe more. And to, to go through that program, it, it can be very, very costly where you can, I guess, manage it maybe not as well, but relatively well for a fraction of the cost using an um, outsourcing company. Got it. Yeah. And and you and Amazon also wants that across your entire supply chain, not just or distribution, not just um, not just on uh, on Amazon. Um, so it and it, it does cost money and additional sort of labeling, etc. So yeah, interesting. I wanted to hear your, your thoughts on it. David, welcome to uh, the stage. Do you, do you have a question or wanted to add a comment? Hi, Lirin. Thank you for taking me up on stage. Hi, Slim. How are you? So I don't know, many of you probably know I am a wholesale distributor 
I've been selling products through the e-commerce and brick and mortar stores for probably over 10 years. Uh, so I had a question regarding Vendor Central. So a couple of years back, I was given a Vendor Central account by uh, an Amazon employee by one of the trade shows. And it's sort of dormant, meaning I haven't really utilized it because I guess, you know, some of the intricacies that Amazon has and some of the limitations, like they don't open you up to every single category. I was wondering, I, I see the top of the room is Vendor versus 3P selling. Are you familiar with the ins and outs of Vendor Central? Yes, I mean, I've used Vendor Central ins and outs. Um, I know it's very intimately and I totally understand where you're going with it, where it's very um, category specific. And that's because each vendor manager manages certain categories. So you'll have a different manager for um, uh, home. You'll have a different manager for kitchen. You'll have a different vendor manager in each of the categories. And there's going to be different, um, I guess, accruals and all that type of stuff when it comes to each. So your vendor agreements are going to generally vary across different categories. So that's probably where, where the issue is. Now, that being said, if you know the vendor manager, if you can, if you build that relationship, they'll happily connect you with the right vendor manager um, for that department. But if, you're, if you've got like several different categories um, and only a few products in each category, it might be better off sticking to seller. It's only when you're doing a lot of volume in a particular category that I would say it's worthwhile pursuing um, pursuing uh, the vendor central side. Got it. So, I mean, I'm I'm not an Amazon. I'm not using Amazon Seller Central because I'm I'm a wholesaler. We're moving volume, and also I think it's a conflict of interest. Uh, me selling products to Amazon sellers, and at the same time, also selling myself uh, as a third party seller, competing against my customers. So that's just my uh, my my way of looking at things. My question is, if I'm selling a product to Amazon, only to Amazon. I know way back when they had an option to add something to the catalog manually. Now they're working with, uh, or I should say probably the last six to seven months, they've been working with feeds. Uh, so they want you to include as much information as you can, any particular product. And I find that that the task David, you got um, muted. Maybe it's a glitch of Clubhouse, but do you want to unmute yourself? I'm sorry about that. Well, my question basically was, I find lately that the process to put information into Amazon vendor catalog has been very frustrating because they don't allow manual SKUs or that's just a limitation on my end. It might be a limitation on your end for, or it depends on what category you're in. Um, so from the categories that, that we sort of dealt with, you just go into items, add new product. And then if it's not listed on Amazon, you just have to select the category that, that you're looking at putting it in and download the, the upload setup form. And there's quite a few fields that you have to put in there. But once you put all those in there, um, it'll automatically uh, get uploaded to your catalog. So it's just an Excel file that you have to fill in. Right, but I'm talking about that Excel file. It's a lot of information per product. So if you have... A catalog of let's say 20 or 30 or 100 or 20 you know 20,000 products you know put, to put all that information for each product is is a very gruesome long task i see what you mean but no yeah you, you still have to do it and the reason why they want to know a lot of that stuff i mean 
half of it's like all shipping information because they need to calculate what the shipping shipping costs and all that are for each of their products so they can wade in into their profitability. They want to know your products and descriptions because you're going to be putting put in the bullet points, uh, the product description. Um, a lot of the stuff there is optional as well, so you don't have to fill it in. Um, but if you really really want to optimize your page, I would definitely recommend filling as much of it in, in as possible. Um, but you could also outsource that. I mean, you wouldn't have to necessarily do it yourself, but if you, if you had a spreadsheet or, or wherever you keep all your product information, you could generally find an outsourcing company that could do all of that for you at a fraction of the cost that you would pay someone internally to do it. Are you referring to a VA? Uh, could be VAs, uh, but there are also companies within uh, the US who who specialize in that. I think that I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, you can connect with me uh, afterwards or whatnot. There's a company that helps with setup forms and they can, um, they reached out to us a while ago. And how they work is that if you've got like a master database, you could convert that into the format for Amazon. So with a click of a button or what you have to set it up a little bit first, but once you do it for one item, it would then replicate and pull the fields out and place it into the specific forms automatically. So you would just set the parameters and then it would do all the rest separately and then you could upload it that way. We just didn't do it because while we've got a large catalog, we don't have to upload like three, 400 items at once. We would probably do one or two a month. Got it, got it. Okay, so yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I appreciate that information. I'm gonna to try to see what we what we could do with that. David, you got muted, but um, no ho hopefully that answered your question. Um, if anybody else has a question relating to the pros and cons, benefits of selling third party versus selling vendor. Um, I'm happy to answer any any other questions anyone has. Uh, I'm so sorry. I was talking and I was I was muted <laughs> um, and didn't realize. Um, yeah, thank you so much, um, David, for the question. Um, I'm going to bring up Saeed. Um, if you have a question relating to the pros and cons, benefits of selling third party, that's a little bit more my expertise. Slim has been involved in the vendor side for years growing up, um, helping to grow a big um, $100 million plus business selling to Amazon. Um, so uh, a lot of expertise on the vendor side. Um, we can hopefully answer your questions. Um, I did try to bring up Saeed. Let me try again um, and see if it works. There we go. Uh, welcome, Saeed. And uh, my, oh, okay. my question is, what is your ideal A cost should be on, on advertising? Um, so I can answer that. Um, I think it's a, I don't think there is a clear number. Um, I think, I think it depends on a variety of things. I'll, I'll tell you kind of the, the things that I, uh, consider as far as thinking about ACOS. Um, number one, what stage, what, where in the life cycle, uh, are you with this product and what is your goal? If it's a new product, I don't really care so much about ACOS. I care about generating a lot of sales very, very quickly because that helps with organic ranking, getting traction, getting more reviews, seeing what people think about the product, um, all that, right? So when I launch a new product in the first month or two, I don't really care. I'm more concerned about conversion rate. If people are buying the product, I mean, getting reviews, you know, all those things to me are more, are more important. So, uh, you know, as a general rule, I would say, you know, 100 to 200% ACOS in the first month or two doesn't really 
bother me and, and optimizing for ACOS is not my main goal. When a product grows and becomes, you know, a little bit more in growth mode versus launch mode, I do start to care more about not only ACOS, but what people call tacos, which is total ACOS. So for those, um, for those that, that don't know, I'll just break it down. ACOS is your advertising cost of sale. So um, when Saeed says, you know, where, where should you be if you're at a, if you're, if your product costs $10 and it costs you a dollar in clicks to sell one unit, then it, you're at a 10% ACOS. Um, and if you spent a dollar and your total sales, including ad sales and non-ad sales are $20, then your ACOS was your tacos were uh, 5%. You spent, you spent 5% of, of your total sales. Those metrics become more important as uh, I want to grow the product. And also the other question is, what is the category of product that I'm in? Um, why does the category matter? Because if the product is a consumable product and I have a reorder, a certain percent of customers that reorder, I want to understand what that reorder rate is, what the lifetime value of a customer is, and not just the amount of mon money I'm making on a first sale, but I want to understand how much money I'm making you know, over the next year with that customer and how much I'm willing to spend. After the launch mode, I would say growth mode, I probably want to be more around break even with my advertising. Um, so if my margin is 40%, I probably want to be at a 40% um, ACOS. And I want to move closer towards a 10% tacos um, or generating you know, more and more of my sales from not just ads, but from organic. Um, and eventually, as I grow, as I get a lot, a lot of reviews, maybe it's after a year, two years, three years, I'll start to optimize towards maybe lower than 10% um, as far as, as far as a goal. But, um, I would say with Amazon, you have a lot of benefits, um, in terms of breaking even on your advertising because of the sort of flywheel effect. Every sale helps you rank better. Every sale is a potential review. If you're smart and you're using product inserts and capturing customer data, every sales potential data, um, that you're capturing. And so there are, you know, more effects to somebody new to your brand. They could buy future products. If it's consumable for sure, there's benefits in buying more products. So I think the answer is um, you want to understand what your goal is and then where you are in the life cycle of the product and your category. Is it a one-time purchase or is it a, uh, is it, you know, sort of a consumable type of um, type of product? Thank you. Thank you. One more question, if I can follow up on this. Sure. Uh, is there a, any way we can control, like, you know, on Google advertising, you can control from what time to what time your ad shows up. Is there any way we can do that on Amazon advertising? Yes. Um, so you could do it manually or you could do it with software, but a lot of software tools um, that help you manage advertising have a feature called day parting, which allow you, which allow you to set, okay, I only want my ad to run between, you know, 5 p.m. and 10 p.m. And basically what the tool is doing is it's pausing your ads, you know, during the other time. You could do it manually too. Um, but if you're managing a lot of campaigns, um, you do it. I generally don't do it. Um, the reason is because Amazon doesn't give you hourly data um, as far as like where, when, what time your conversions are, are happening. So um, the only time I would recommend doing it is if you have a very limited budget. And so let's say I have a you know, $20 budget or $10 a day budget on my product. And I realize that by 2 p.m. in the afternoon, I'm out of budget and I don't want to spend any more money. At that point, I may decide, okay, you know what, maybe... Maybe it's better for my product to, to show up in the evening. Um, but again, Amazon doesn't give us that, that data. 
um, which is why generally most people are not using this. And if you are running out of budget and you have good performance, then ideally you would want to just raise raise your budget. Uh, if you have bad performance, you know it's a separate issue. But that's that's more of the time where I might consider using day parting, unless I had some insight that you know on Tuesdays people are more likely to buy my product, or on the weekend more moms are shopping for my product, or, or whatever it is. Um, you know, Amazon doesn't necessarily give you a lot of that data from advertising, so. Um, I generally wouldn't recommend it, especially not starting out, but um, there are other platforms that give you better data, other ad platforms that do give you better data as far as like hourly, you know, what times are you getting the best conversions? And Which, you know, would costly. you recommend any, any, any software or any app or where I can do like our, or do you have any idea? Uh, yeah. So, um, I mean, so we, you know, I run an agency where we manage advertising for sellers and, and brands um, and marketing on Amazon, but uh, the tool that we use to help help my own team internally to manage um, is called Perpetua. Um, there are many other tools. Slim mentioned Press is on. There are many other tools in the marketplace um, and several of them do allow day parting. Perpetua does, does have a day parting feature. Um, so it kind of depends if you if all you want is day parting, then Perpetual is probably not the best tool because it does a lot more and it comes at a higher cost than some of the other tools that may do more limited things, including day parting. But that's what we that's what we use. I don't know if Presson has day parting or not, but they're also cheaper um, from a cost price compared to Perpetual. Can I just jump in real quick? Yep. Um, everything you said was on point. Uh, my only recommendation also is. If you've got several products and you're spreading yourself thin, um, I wouldn't recommend it because you're not going to get traction. I would focus on one or two products and spend more budget on that to help that get that up the rankings faster and to help organic sales come through and then focus on the others. That's what I would do rather than, you know, if, if you were to have like 30 products and you're trying to spend $20 a day on each of those products, I would focus on the ones that you think are going to be more successful first and then work it that way. Okay. Thank you for your insight. Thank you. Uh, Izzy, I'm not sure if I said your name right, if it's Izzy or Izzy, uh, but welcome to the stage. Um, go ahead and uh, ask away. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me on stage. Um, I just want to ask um, about how to deal with um, competition on Amazon, um, like bad competition, um, where you, know, you have your competitors uh, trying to take down your um, Amazon account uh, by leaving negative reviews and all that. Um, I'm sure uh, you guys have probably um, encountered uh, one of those. Yep. Um, well, let me ask you. Let me let me turn around the question. What issues have you personally experienced? Sorry, what did you say? Um, I, I said, what what issues have you personally experienced from? From, what users have experienced? No, what 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 negative experiences have you had personally selling? Or are you just asking generally or have you had a specific issue? Oh, I've I've experienced where um, you know, I've got um, uh, multiple like negative reviews and I know um, you know, it's not from buyers. Like you could tell um if someone is trying to um uh, just take your account down. Um, and Amazon usually don't care. Like, well, don't... okay. So I, 
I might challenge you back on that. Is your product like in the top 100, top 1000, top 5000 BSR? Is it selling really, really well? Um, uh, or no? Yeah, it is. It is. And there is like lots of competition, right? And what, so, what category are you selling in? Um, electronics. Okay. Um, so it could, it could be possible. Um, the reason why I said I would challenge you on that is because if you have a product that's not selling that well, it's unlikely that competitors really care and are attacking you. But if you have a product that's selling really well, especially if you get into top 100 BSR or top 1000 BSR, it could be more likely. But also sometimes I find sellers, the minute they get a negative review, it's not their product, it's somebody else, right? So uh, I think maybe that's that's a little bit human nature, but it could be, it's possible. Um, actually, you know, on my podcast um, last year, I interviewed a guy, there's a BBC um, article um, he was named in and I asked him to come on my show um, specifically to talk about negative one-star reviews and the attacks. And he basically kept opening cases and he emailed the community. There's a community team. I think it's community-help at amazon.com. And he tried to show as much proof as possible, maybe on who the reviewers were, maybe on the amounts. He emailed, he emailed, he emailed. He eventually got them to, to get, you know, to, to be removed. Um, it's easier said than done. It's a major undertaking to get Amazon to remove a, a review because Amazon takes sort of the integrity of the review platform. And sometimes you're just talking to, you know, um, almost like bots um, that send you canned responses. And it's very, very difficult to get negative reviews removed. The best thing you could do is drive more sales and drive more positive reviews. Um, at the same time, I've had to personally hire somebody to upvote my positive reviews after a competitor upvoted all my negative reviews and my entire page one, you know, on a product showed negative reviews. So I had no choice but to use sort of a black hat tactic by you know, hiring somebody to upvote positive reviews as a result. It's kind of just the reality of selling on Amazon. Um, I don't know that I have a really good answer for you other than um, I know a seller in the supplement space that on purpose tries not to have his product in the top 100 BSR. He raises his price because he knows as soon as he gets into sort of that level, um, you know, of uh, bestseller rank, he, he starts to get attacked immediately. And he so he raises his price on purpose. Um, Again, not ideal, but it is part of part of the reality of selling on Amazon. And I think in certain categories, probably like supplements, probably electronics and very, very cutthroat competitive type categories when you have a top selling product. Uh, unfortunately, it's part of the reality of selling on Amazon. I don't really have a great answer for you. I don't know if Slim has a better answer. Um, we've had issues with that before as well. And I think the hardest part is you got competitors. As soon as you start progressing on Amazon, you're going to be a target no matter what. And the only way, in my opinion, is to combat that is to focus on your product and try to get the positive reviews. So my question to you then is, what initiatives are you doing to help um, within the framework of Amazon try to get people to, to promote your product? Are you putting any inserts in your product? Are you doing any personal notes? Anything that helps encourage them to write an honest review? Um, actually, I try... Um, doing inserts, but um, inserts are not allowed um, um, by Amazon. Um, from what I heard, uh, so I would, I would, I would challenge that. Sorry, I would challenge that. Um, it's not that inserts are not allowed. Uh, I think personally, but I there's a there's a there's a certain gray area depending on how you go about it. But um, the most successful sellers are using inserts. 
we use inserts and um, we just let people know that, you know, they can join like a feel good team and we double their warranty and so forth. And in return, we sort of collect their email. We message them, make sure they're happy with the product. Um, Slim. What you cannot do is, in, I believe it's incentivize people to write a review. Slim, so does Amazon review and just say you're a small business and, you know, we appreciate all the reviews. Help us please um, help write an honest review. I don't think that's um, doing anything wrong. Slim, does, does Amazon, because, you know, it's sort of interesting, right? You have a very close relationship with, you know, vendor managers, et cetera. Does Amazon know, is Amazon ever giving you the blessing, let's say, of saying, hey, this is totally okay. We know you are sort of funneling and getting data off, uh, you know, of our customer type thing. Um, have you ever sort of had that conversation or not, haven't brought it up, never been an issue for you and never had that discussion with, with Amazon being a vendor? We've, yeah, we've never had that issue. And given the fact that we've had vendor managers ask for samples and they've mm -hmm. received our samples and they've actually opened it up and they've seen that. Um, we've never, ever, ever incentivized people to write a review. It's more so just, you know, we appreciate an honest feedback. Um, reach out to us if you've got any issues with your product. We're more than happy to help. And if you register as a feel-goods reward program, um, you'll do we'll double your warranty and you'll get notified of, um, um, you know, other deals. And we would send them deals that we've actually got a legitimate promotion or if you want to send them a promotion code and things like that. But we never say, you know, write a review and give you a $10 card or mm -hmm. anything like that because we, yeah. we, we play by the rules. Yeah, and I think you're doing it exactly right. And, and Izzy, I think that's where the line is, right? You'll, you'll see, um, you know, I see friends posting, um, they buy a product on Amazon. I've had it too. And you have a little insert there that looks like a, an Amazon gift card. It's just, you know, like, uh, 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 it looks like a business card and it says, get a $10 gift card, write a review, send us a screenshot and we'll give it to you. And that's blatantly incentivizing the review, which is against Amazon terms of service. What we do is we offer, um, very similar to slim on some products, a lifetime warranty. Um, if you have a consumable type product or, you know, uh, electronic is perfect to offer a double warranty or a lifetime warranty. Um, we slim send them through a text based platform where they text a word um, and we take them through sort of that funnel, um, you know, through through SMS uh, messaging. We find that works really well and, and it works really well, not just to get positive reviews, but if someone does have a legitimate issue with the product, they're able to give us that feedback and then we can refund them or replace the product um, and prevent uh, a negative review and have a good customer service um, experience. So, so is this, is yep. this through ManyChat out of curiosity? Um, no, we actually, we actually use a platform called simpletexting.com. I just think it's, okay. uh, I just like SMS and I think ManyChat can be sometimes complicated. You can now do SMS through, through ManyChat flows, but we actually have an initial automated message. And then we have a, a VA who kind of follows up um, actually like, you know, um, live sort of asking the customer how they like the product, et cetera, after we've asked them for their order number and email, uh, activated their warranty, and then we and then we ask them how they like the product. They give us their feedback, then we ask them for a review. If they have a problem, we try to we try to solve um, solve the problem. And yeah, we're also kind of building building a, a launch list for um, for future products in in very much um, the same way. So um, Izzy, I would uh, I would utilize that. And also, if you own, I won't. You know, I'll just say if you only play. If you're super conservative with marketing and selling on Amazon, you're never going to get anywhere. Um, I'm not saying do things that are illegal, like like fake reviews or against FTC regulations. But if you play by the rules, you're not. If you or if you play by extreme versions of what you identify to be terms of service, 
um, you'll never have uh, it will never be a, a level playing field for you against against competitors. And the reality is that selling on Amazon, you need to toe the line in some sort of gray areas that are again are not illegal, are not you know um, are not blatantly against terms of service, and yeah, maybe questionable. Um, you know, as far as like, does Amazon like this or not? But that's the reality of selling, uh, selling on Amazon, just like you're getting attacked, right? It's not really, right. not really fair either. And that's the kind of stuff personally, I just wouldn't do just because it's not the kind of business I want to run, you know, by, by, um, you know, building myself up by tearing somebody else down. It's just personally, not something uh, I feel good about, but I definitely feel good about um, giving something of value to a customer and asking them their feedback and getting a review and providing good customer service. And, finding a way to drive more reviews because the reviews equal money on Amazon basically, which is why there's such a big review problem, right? Reviews are money. Um, but I think you do need, to, especially in electronics, I, I don't think you can do as well unless you are uh, implementing uh, some of these strategies. I have, I have a client that sells a consumable product. He sends everybody a free gift through an insert um, and he's 5X his review rate by, by doing that. And then he also takes them to, you know, to their email list, sends them promotions. Um, and has done very, very well by implementing these, uh, these strategies. So I would uh, encourage you to, to put it in place, but I wouldn't mention reviews or anything on the insert. Right, that's very helpful. Um, I really appreciate that. Um, I have a question. What do you think, um, like long-term wise, um, I've spoke to uh, some of my friends, they do Amazon as well, um, they don't think Amazon is good for long term. Like it's just a short term game. Um, what, what, what's what's um, your take on that? I mean, I think if you, I think, well, one, you know, over the last, and Slim can probably attest, like over the last few years, more and more brands realized, like more and more brands have a, a love hate and a lot of sellers love hate relationship with Amazon because Amazon gives and Amazon takes away, right? Amazon can, you can drive a lot of sales and then Amazon takes down your listing for some reason and all your sales are gone and you hired employees and your business relies on it and it can be very stressful also, uh, which is why I think more and more you need to find ways where you can get that customer data and leverage Amazon and don't see Amazon as I have an Amazon business, see Amazon as I have a customer acquisition channel where you know I can acquire customers get the data and potentially then choose to, to send them either back to Amazon or send them to my own D2C site. But I do think it's one of the best launch methods and one of the easiest ways to launch a product is through Amazon because you have a built-in audience uh, audience there, but you need to also leverage it. Um, and I do think Amazon is here to stay long-term, but once you get to a certain point in your business, Maybe it's a million dollars in sales. Maybe it's $3 million in sales. You should think about, okay, you know, a lot of my business relies on Amazon. How much, how much revenue can I start to do off Amazon? And uh, 2020 is, is a year that I saw more sellers than ever before have success with Shopify too. Um, and, um, you know, Shopify getting into, um, you know, fulfillment. Um, Walmart is, has fulfillment now. I've seen sellers have good success with Etsy. So I do think you need to diversify. Uh, so you're less reliant, but um, you know, I don't think Amazon is going away per se. I just think, you know, there is a level of risk sort of having all your eggs in the Amazon basket and you want to try to minimize that. But there's also benefit to really focusing initially on Amazon. Like in my first year in business, 
or, uh, you know, I would very heavily focus, you know, on Amazon, growing products, growing sales, getting reviews, getting traction. And then I would look to, you know, uh, diversify, um, you know, my brand off Amazon. There's also been brands that have had a lot of success doing the opposite, putting a big focus on Shopify, building an audience, building social media. And then when they launch on Amazon, they're super successful because there's already, we helped the seller launch this year who their first month with one product did $100,000 in sales on Amazon, but they had already had, you know, 100,000 plus followers on their Instagram and they had over 10,000 searches a month for their brand name on Amazon and they weren't there and they were losing sales. And as soon as they came on without any reviews, they just kept, you know, sending inventory, selling out, selling inventory, selling out. And Amazon, you know, became sort of a, a big channel for them, but they started the opposite way, which if you have that expertise, uh, I think you, I think is also, um, doable. I, ju I just think it's easier to have success on Amazon. There's less moving pieces that you have to worry about, like conversion optimization, fulfillment, you know, building a store, um, you know, advertising, creative. Amazon has so much of that already kind of built in that and trust um, that you don't have to sort of worry about that. I just think it's easier, but maybe that's just because I'm biased and that's where my personal skill set is. Um, but um, don't listen to your friends or unless your friends are, you know, I would say not don't listen to your friends, but unless your friends are, um, you know, ultra successful on Amazon already, let's say, then, you know, I would say just like pay attention to the people you do listen to because ultimately nobody knows, uh, one. Um, and two, again, unless they are super experts in their field and having massive success, um, you know, do what, do what you think is best for your, for your business or don't listen to me or anyone else either, right? Make your own, make your own, um, uh, you know, judgment calls. Right, right. I appreciate that. You're welcome. I'm going to bring up, um, I, I don't even want to try to pronounce your name because I'm probably going to pronounce it incorrectly. So um, feel free to turn on your mic and, uh, and introduce yourself. Or not. Uh, I noticed you have a party hat, which means you're new to Clubhouse, but you have a little mic, uh, mic button on the bottom. So you can click on that and unmute yourself. Um, this is, uh, X I N J I, uh, which again, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to say it incorrectly. So welcome. You unmuted yourself. Congratulations. Um, feel free to ask away. Thank you, Liren. Thank you. Okay. Uh, thank you, Liren. Um, uh, actually I'm a seller on Amazon and I see, uh, this is a very interesting, um, topic. Um, I, I used to be invited to be a vendor of uh, Amazon um, also. So uh, uh, I'd, I'd like to some, uh, share something later. Uh, please continue your, your topic first. No, go ahead. Share, share away because we've, we've been here for, I think, an hour plus. So go ahead and share away. Um, okay. Uh, actually, um, uh, I think Amazon allow you uh, become both 3P seller and uh, vendor. Uh, so uh, I will uh, like to uh, put some of my product uh, as a vendor uh, um, provider and uh, also put some um, product as a, um, a 3P uh, seller products. Um, uh, I, I'd like to uh, separate um, some product. For example, I um, Amazon vendor manager will um, 
force you to uh, lower your price, lower your price. So if you have a product team, you should uh, um, make some product like Amazon uh, Essential. Uh, then um, it, once you become the Amazon vendor, I think you can uh, get more traffic uh, from Amazon and uh, your product will be known by more customers. So uh, I, I think that's a very good point. And, but, uh, you know, uh, as a vendor, uh, you cannot get a lot of uh, profit from that, but you can get to the traffic and uh, uh, you can make some better product uh, as a 3 seller. That, that's what I'm thinking. Um, I'm trying to understand what you, what you're saying. So you, you're saying create a create a brand, sell one product under the brand to Amazon, sell another product as third party, get lower profit or or and more traffic through selling to Amazon, but more people will know your brand as a result and discover your other products that you're selling third party. Yes. Slim, what are your thoughts? Um, that's kind of interesting. So for us, we definitely have a seller and a vendor account. And for a seller account, we sell um, some things that, that differentiate than our vendor account because we don't really want to sell the same product. Otherwise, I know our vendor manager is going to come back and say, what are you doing? You're trying to undercut yourself or um, you know, you're trying to play games by reducing the cost so that Amazon would reduce their cost. Uh, but in reality, they'll just come back and ask for funding anyway. So for us to manage that in terms of creating it separately, it's completely separate products. So to give an example is small kitchen appliances is what we sell on our vendor account. On our seller account, we sell a smart coffee table. And the reason why we're doing that is because had we have gone through the vendor account, they use their shipping company. So they would use UPS and customers would get the item damaged and it would be a headache and there'd be a lot of customer complaints. So what we found was we wanted to manage um, the shipping ourselves through our own carrier. So that's why we chose seller for that particular item. But in regards to actually running, I'm not sure if, if you mean running the same sort of category within the, within the item because the vendor managers, from my understanding, they prefer you not to do it unless you put a very valid reason um, for them to do it. But it's not something that I would 100% recommend without the blessing of your vendor manager. That's for sure. I'm not sure if that helped answer your question or your, I guess, your how you um, run, run the accounts. Uh, okay. Uh, at the very beginning, we are uh, three. And uh, one day, uh, a, uh, a vendor, uh, uh, account manager, contact us and uh, say, "Hey, do you like to become a vendor?" Then we say, "Okay, we can try." So I think the account manager uh, from vendor team they don't very care about whether you. Both to vendor and you're getting you're getting cut off but you know my feeling is that when you get to a certain size they probably care a lot um and slim's experience is working with you know a brand that's at 100 million plus 
and probably their vendor manager would care a lot. Maybe in your case, um, you know, your vendor manager is trying to get you to try and, you know, it's not as, maybe it's not as big, I don't know. Um, but maybe there's some differences just like when you get to a certain size, Amazon wants to probably seize a little bit more control uh, over what you're selling if you are doing uh, third party. Just sounds to me like that could be some of the nuances to the differences uh, to the differences here, but you're getting cut out a little bit. So I'm going to move you back to the audience. Um, Alberto, feel free to, oh, there goes Alberto. Um, there we go. There we go. Alberto, feel free to unmute yourself um, and uh, ask away. Hey, can you hear me now? Yes. Great. Um, I, I just jumped into this channel because uh, I, I the the topic was very interested to me. Maybe you already touched on this, but um, I do sell on Amazon as private label seller. But um, I just was just curious as to what is the difference of a vendor versus a three P seller, and and also if if. Uh, if doing arbitrage is, is considered a vendor or that is also 3P, thanks. Okay, so, well, so we, we did cover some of this earlier, but to summarize, um, doing arbitrage, you're a third-party seller and doing arbitrage wouldn't make sense for you to be a vendor because you're essentially, um, one, you're a reseller, but you're also not a reseller at scale, right? Amazon wants to put POs, uh, where they can continuously get product and buy in large quantities, et cetera. So um, the difference between third party and vendor is vendor, the products will show up as ships and sold by Amazon. Essentially you are wholesaling the product to Amazon. Amazon is the retailer. They set the price. Um, they make the margin between the wholesale price and the, the retail price. When you're a third party seller, you're, you're setting the price, you're the seller directly. Uh, and you are making the margin, but there's the, the Amazon fee structure um, is different. So um, vendor is also one of those things generally you need to get invited to, or uh, Slim kind of said earlier, which is a great tip, is you could try to reach out to category managers uh, like on LinkedIn and um, you know try to get sort of an, an invite into Vendor Central. Um, but those are those are some of the some of the differences between vendor and uh and selling it as a third-party seller Diff different pros different pros and cons um that are that Thank are there between so the marketing that, that clarifies it for me appreciate it that was my my question thank you great you're welcome let me see if there are any other questions um i'll bring up ning as the final question um ning welcome to the stage um and for those of you that are here, um, I created this club called Amazon Sellers. If you click on the little green box, um, green box on top, you can join it. And when I start a room underneath the club, you'll get pinged in the future. Um, if you wanna hear most of it will be all around uh, e-commerce and probably more specifically around uh, around selling on, on Amazon. Uh, Ning, welcome to the stage. Uh, did you wanna add a comment or ask a question? Thank you so much. Um, I was listening into your conversation, especially earlier when you guys were talking about um, the the difference between vendor account and seller account. And um, I just wanted to add a point. Um, I think in Xinji's case, um, and Xinji's case versus Slim's case, uh, there's a little bit of nuance because uh, 
I think starting from a seller and getting invited by Amazon to uh, list some of your products as uh, under a vendor account mm. is going to be so much easier than starting uh, as as the big vendor and then trying to uh, transfer some of your listings into seller account. So that does uh, take a long time of negotiation with um, Amazon's vendor management team. So that's the only uh, comment that I wanted to uh, add. I see. Yeah. And that makes that makes a lot of sense, right? If you're already a seller and they want to sort of woo you in, obviously they're going to say, okay, you can maybe keep some of the products you're selling as a seller. Let's test out vendor versus if you started out that way, uh, as a vendor, Amazon really doesn't want you to uh, to move over, so to leave them. Yeah, exactly. So um, you know, and the vendor managers have goals, right? So if you leave, then there you know hurts there. Like Slim said, their KPIs, etc. And you want them on your side because they can help you get deals, etc. And so it really is one of those relationship management things um, that you need to uh, that you need to manage. So yeah, I appreciate you you coming. Um, on here, um, for those of you that are that are in the room, um, I've recorded this um, as well, um, and we'll put this on my podcast. It's called uh, E-commerce Mindset. There's a um, through if you go to my LinkedIn, if you go to my in Instagram, there's a link tree link that goes to the podcast, and also have a Facebook group called E-commerce Mindset. A lot of Amazon sellers sharing uh, in that group um, and the podcast um, as well is all related to uh, selling on Amazon. So um, you can uh, subscribe or join or listen listen in uh, if you like. Um, and then as part of this club, I'll be doing rooms sort of regularly all around the topics of selling on Amazon. Hopefully this was um, useful, helpful. Um, I definitely learned some things um, from Slim around the uh, vendor and uh, managing that vendor relationship. So really appreciate you taking the time, Slim, to share with us. Um, and thank you everybody for joining the room, listening in, asking questions, and um, we'll see you in another uh, another future Clubhouse uh, room. I also happen to really love this platform. I think it's pretty amazing. There's just this kind of incredible thing that you connect with people through voice that's, I think, unique to this uh, to this place. So um, just really appreciate, um, you know, Clubhouse in, uh, in, in general and the connections that, that you can make here. Um, I think just like Amazon vendor management is relationship management, so is everything else in your life. Um, so thank you, Slim, again, for coming on. Really appreciate it on a, on a Thursday evening, taking your time. Um, and I'm going to close the room. Thank you, uh, everybody, for uh, joining in. So this was a long episode. If you're still here, you mean means you listen to the whole thing. Would love your feedback on sort of uh, playing a clubhouse recording and what the experience is like in terms of listening to this as a podcast. Uh, for those that are new to the podcast, there are over 70 episodes of, of content all related to uh, marketing and selling products, mostly on Amazon uh, with e-commerce and a little bit of, of, of mindset. Uh, would love to get your review on iTunes and joining our uh, e-commerce mindset group. The links are in the show notes. I'll see you on the next episode of the podcast.